Assalamu alaikum. Guys, we've gotten Abdurrahman all the way from Kuwait on today. Just a bit of background on who he is. So he started his riding out in Portland, USA um, a few years ago before then moving back home to his native Kuwait. And what he does now is, well, a number, number of things. So he rides out with uh, those Kuwaiti nationals um, back home. He also has started a media company um, called Paperclip, uh, link in the bio. And uh, what he does there is showcases riding in the Middle East, riders of the Middle East. And basically, he wants to change perceptions and um, change the narrative on uh, all things riding out there. Um, it's not without his problem, of course. Um, Kuwait is a country... Uh, not like quite like Dubai, Saudi, which is currently pushing for cycling. He actually uh, currently gets harassed and whatnot. He wrote all about it in a cycling weekly article, um, which again I'll put the link in the bio. Um, it gives a real insight into what riding's like in the Middle East, and <coughs> in many countries it's still like that, other than um, perhaps Dubai, Qatar. Uh, Saudi, which are now um, really, really uh, moving forward in uh, the cycling world. Um, they now host international races and whatnot. And um, that's part of what Abdurrahman does. He does go to these regions and showcases what's going on um, and meets local riders, etc. Um, he's also a huge advocate um, to change things in his home, home, home nation. Um, he does um well he questions what's going on um to those in power and um yeah he uh i think we'll see a lot and hear a lot from him in the future he is someone who's on the ground trying to make things happen and uh, that's why we've got him on the pod just to i thought it'd be awesome to have him on at the beginning of his journey and then have him on again in some time in the future, inshallah, and uh, see what he's achieved. I'm sure it'll be a ton. I'll try it. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Gap Gapped Podcast, Abdul Rahman. You are joining us from. I can't keep up these days. Where are you? Uh, so far, I'm in Kuwait. I appreciate you joining us. Yeah, I appreciate you have, uh, coming on because it's a true blessing um, because you've got a lot to tell and. Um, truly inspiring story as well so we'll start right at the beginning um how'd you get into the sport well i got into the sport as soon as i moved to portland oregon uh i used to live in minnesota and i got the chance to transfer schools uh, i've always wanted to live in portland because you know to me portland was the place to be uh growing up and stop there when myself... when you sorry one second when you mention school you don't mean yes. You don't mean elementary school, do you? You mean like no, college I, and yes. Okay. Uh, University. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, when we mention school, it's like yeah, we, we're just joining up school, and you're like seven years old. But okay. Sorry. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> no, no, no. You're fine. Uh, yeah. So I I, moved, I switched schools uh, from one university to the other, and. Um, promised myself that as soon as I moved to Portland, I'm going to buy a bicycle. And I moved in. And a week later, I actually moved in on my birthday, uh, which is kind of ironic. Uh, is it? I don't know. And I went to uh, the closest bike shop that I had around me, which was Selwood Cycle Shop. 
And I walked into the shop and I looked at the first person ahead of me and it was Graham. Uh, I'm, I'm still in touch with Graham and he's, he's one of the most inspirational mechanics uh, in Portland. Um, and he just guided me through it. I told him that I had 50 bucks in, in my pocket. And he's like, that's not going to be enough. And I was shocked. I was like, what kind of a bike would cost more than 50 bucks? You know, yeah. and he's like, oh, dude, you have you have no idea. Um, so he managed to sell me $150 worth of uh, Chinese triple by nine bike. Uh, that was about 50 pounds. I'm exaggerating, but it was heavy. Um, I was, I was beyond static. Um, and I just, uh, I just started riding everywhere. For example, like, uh, I stopped driving to restaurants and I started biking to them instead to kind of quote unquote, earn the meal. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, like the first two and a half months were brutal. Uh, my commute to school was about two miles. Uh, most of it was uphill and I walked uphill almost every single time the first two months. Um, that's but, yeah. No, but let's let's go back even even more than that. What what you said you promised yourself to buy a bike. Why? Uh because uh, you, you know, uh, okay, let me go a little bit further back then. So how did I come to understand like how Portland what Portland is? Um yeah. like early Fridays, uh I guess Fridays uh, uh, during my early childhood, my dad and I would eat breakfast and watch documentaries uh, just before prayer. Um, and around the age of 10 or so, uh, the documentary of the eruption of St. Helens, uh, the volcano, uh, was airing. And I was blown away, pun intended, with the fact that there was just these, like, rainforests, uh, volcanoes, high deserts, the Pacific Ocean. And I was just asking myself, what kind of a part of the world that has so much diversity um, that I don't even know about. I mean, I was 10 years old, so I didn't know a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I started uh, started uh, Googling, and I started that that was right around the Google uh, hype uh, here in Kuwait. Um, and I started kind of like knowing about a little by little. And it kind of, the Pacific Northwest became part of my life growing up. Um, and as I kept up, I realized that it's a cycling city. You know, it was, it was known as the cycling capital of the United States for a number of years you know, and so I associated biking with Portland, and I wasn't wrong. Mad, mad, and um, so you went. That helped you in a massive way, um, cycling because, uh, you had uh, you were overweight. Let's let's put it uh, let's put it bluntly, right? Uh, but you, oh yeah, absolutely. You you've managed you've managed to lose that well a lot of it, mashallah, and that's an incredible story as well. So. What's that? Half of your weight you you managed to lose? Yeah, alhamdulillah, it was it was a little bit more than half of my weight at the point. Um, I dropped down to a lot of people told me it was an unhealthy weight, but I felt great. Uh, that was the peak of my uh, climbing fitness. Uh, I really enjoyed being you know that light, uh, but I've gained a little bit more weight since then. Uh, especially with living in Kuwait, but yeah, it's a little over half of my weight. At I want to say, it took me about three years to get down, lose all that weight. Yeah, yeah, and uh, starting from twenty fifteen to twenty eighteen. And uh, what what would you say is is the main thing that managed that helped you to do it? Really, um, was it the bike? Oh, absolutely, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. 
And uh, so if someone's in your situation back in 2015, is it is it just the bike that will make you lose the weight or is there something mentally as well that helped you? It's it's the you have to want it. Yeah. You know, for me, I didn't want to lose weight uh, per se because I didn't think about it. Uh, all I wanted was to experience the freedom. And for me to experience that freedom, I had to get better. And so losing weight came as a, a byproduct. And uh, so just to like uh, set the scene. So because I've, alhamdulillah, I've, I've not been on this journey and um, inshallah, I'll never have to. But like, uh, is is it something because a lot of people I know around me, right, they'll, they'll lose a few pounds and they'll be like, they're happy and then they'll quickly put it back on. So that's how I find your story so inspiring because you've lost half and obviously there must have been stages where maybe you lost about 10 pounds or something and then you put a few back on and then some would think right it's it's, there's no point now right so what I want to get at is how did you surpass that and keep keep going for years basically I think it's the exact same thing that I started with is I didn't attach the psych I didn't attach cycling to losing weight because you know I, I didn't want to build that uh, relationship with cycling. Sure. I, I knew that I was going to lose weight, but like cycling meant a lot more to me than that. Um, I kept encouraging myself like, Hey, if you want to go and explore, you know, or get lost in the forest with your friends and explore some hidden trails, you got to work on yourself, you know? And uh, have you, I mean, we have a saying, uh, in Arabic, means healthy mind is in, uh, is in a healthy body. You know, mm-hmm. I kept telling myself that it's like, Hey, you know, like your body's going to get better. Your mental state is going to get better. And it did. I mean, it kind of, like cycling didn't just help me lose weight. It helped me kind of like build up a mental state of where I want to go and how do I want to ma- maintain that? So I would, my advice would be is, don't don't uh, tie yourself to a goal because eventually if you don't achieve that goal, you're just going to see whatever you have done as a waste of time rather than a lesson. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, but I think uh, I'm going to touch on uh, something. I, I feel like I unlocked something there or perhaps you unlocked something there. You mentioned you want to keep up with your friends in a sense or or ride with them. Mm-hmm. Was that is that underlying motivation as well look your your mates are going out if you're if you're the slow one at the back you're they're not going to appreciate you coming was that motivation as well i mean uh to be honest they always appreciated people coming out but yeah. here's what i've done Good. what i've been doing i've been uh i i would go out with them but i would understand my limits so yeah. i would only join them to the extent of my limits and then I would turn around nice. but on other days when people are not going riding I would be out and about I would be pushing yeah. my limits by myself so and I think that's that's how I managed to get into the group uh so well um because I, I, I you know I don't need I don't I don't want to say it that way like I love exploring places by myself but I also yeah, yeah. love exploring places with a group definitely def- definitely i think your group appreciated that from you as well i i would certainly do that like someone you can tell someone's trying and stuff and uh not sewing ever and down like they're, they're doing them kind of thing that's that's really cool um so how has your life changed then um you know just uh has confidence gone up since you've done since 
you've been through that journey does it help you now fight other battles what's it done for you oh it unlocked a lot of things uh you know i started uh i started living more i i stopped thinking about the what and if and started kind of like just appreciating living in the moment you know there's um <laughs> i i think a lot of cyclists can relate to this like the voice in your head that the static just quite literally just went away um and i felt more present I, I guess the person in me that wanted to come out to the world uh has finally come out yeah and um I, and i think it's evident because um sometimes uh, uh i guess to kind of summarize the point in some way it, it it made me feel like the person i'm meant to be yeah yeah um, that's that's yeah. i'm i'm really happy for you <laughs> and it's the reason you're on this podcast as well um but anyway <laughs> we'll, we'll move on from that inshallah uh, you run a very very cool well i find it cool you run a cool media platform called paperclip uh what is it uh the paperclip started as a reaction to a lot of uh, uh uh eventful events that really threw my whole life upside down um so Sadly, uh, due to some like visa stuff, you know, uh, like I, I didn't get chosen for some reason or some sort. Uh, and I had, I only had 60 days to pack up my life of mm. nine years or so wow. in, in the U.S. and just leave. So that, that was, you, you can imagine the shock and uh, um, like leaving a place that truly is home to me, uh, the that made me the person who I am today. So I left uh, the US and I came back to Kuwait for 12 days, but the reverse shock was so strong that I was like, you know what? I need a break. I, I truly need a break. So I flew out to Spain. Thankfully, uh, you know, I managed to get uh, uh, you know accommodation there. Yeah. Thanks to my family. Um, and I stayed there for three months. Um, you know, and all I did was ride my bike, write some articles and just, just, you know, uh, uh, meditate, just like sit down with myself and ask myself, like, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? Yeah. Um, and I realized that I wrote so many articles. I was like, you know what? I've always had this idea about the paperclip. You know, I, I, I love the metaphor behind the paperclip. It was a sign of, uh, uh, it was a like, a sign of unity against adversity that was used in the second world war, uh, against the Nazis, I think. Um, and I, I like the, the idea of having this like, uh, humble metal piece that signifies so much. So I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna, I want to have a domain with a cool name. That's how it started. And I just started uploading my own articles, you know? And, uh, what's, so, you've uh from part of that you've created something called meet the rider and uh, right. why don't you dive into a little bit of that absolutely so you know after writing about myself <laughs> for so long i mean it's not necessarily about myself as much as it is about my journeys uh i've started reaching out to a lot of people because i i don't really like being in the spotlight uh that much um so i was like um, after after a year of running the the paperclip, I found myself back home in Kuwait, 
And I was so curious about the cycling community here. And I figured how to be efficient about it. You know, I could go and investigate by myself or I could hit, you know, hit two birds with one stone, get to know the community and understand the story from them. So I was like, meet the writer. I want to meet the writer. You want to meet the writer. I I think a lot of people want to meet the writer. So I reached out to a few folks. Remember how I'm not shy? (laughs) You know, we're talking about how I'm not shy about asking for stuff. Uh, Like, hey, and I just spoke with with a cyclist, um, Salman Safar. And I was like, Salman, do you want to be, do you want to help me do this thing? And he was just on board. Um, The idea behind meet the writer is quite simple. I want to put an identity to what an Arab cyclist look like. Eventually, it's not just about Arab cyclists, but the people who are unseen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when you mean unseen, you mean from the current media setup. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So we're talking cycling tips, Road CC, Cycling Weekly. You don't see us, uh, like, you don't see riders from Arabia, basically, right? Writers from Arabia, writers from North Africa, I mean, even writers from India, you know, I know, I know there's a lot of people out there. And it's not to say that they don't want to see us, it's that they haven't been accustomed to understand the value of these, uh, 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 these stories yet, perhaps. Yeah, and uh, you're doing, you're doing a great service, um, because I, I quite enjoy I quite enjoy it. And um, so is that the overall aims of Paperclip then to, has it pivoted uh, from articles about yourself to now articles about different folk? You know, it's a, uh, I, I learned something from a friend of mine back in Portland, Dustin Klein. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations with him about his uh, artistic journey. And, you know, when I asked him, like, why cycling? And he said, cycling is the form of art uh, it is the way I express my art right now. Um, so it could change in the next few years. You know, it could be the same for the next 20 years. Who knows? So it's to say that I don't know what the paperclip is going to be in the future, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I know what it is in the present. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. And um, so you started off with guides as well uh, of different places. I imagine it's guides of places you've ridden. Um, so... Question for you. What's your favorite place to ride? My favorite place to ride. Ah, uh, that's uh that's a tough question. Uh I mean, uh I don't think Portland should be on the list because that would be extremely biased. I will say Spain. Okay. And Spain, uh, what... Valencia, Valencia, Spain. It's just East Coast, Southeast Coast. Yes. Nice. I've, I've not been so describe the riding uh i mean just imagine this mountainous terrain all by yourself with just wonderful people like the the best memory i have of riding in valencia was i was going down to a small town called planes uh which sits just outside of a reservoir and in order to get to the village to where where i live i have to co- kind of climb up a few mountain ranges and it was a Sunday, and you know, as a custom in Valencia, you know, people tend to eat outside. They have paella. They kind of just kick it outside. Um, and I found myself going downhill, zooming through the city. Uh, I guess the, the village, and just a few people 
kind of paid attention to me and they stood up and they started running with me and they're just shouting it's like hey just like words of encouragement yeah. and i felt they made me feel like i was you know a pro just pushing through it, but in reality i was bonking you know yeah. but the you know that 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 summarizes what speed what, what writing speed feels like it, it's it's part of their culture okay i understood like uh obviously the voter goes through there regularly uh, it's a racing country. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm sure there's a few races that go through that region as well. Uh, so oh, absolutely. They know, yeah, then they, they get the culture, I guess. And, uh, they, they will, will join in as well. So no, it's good. Um, so let's pivot a touch. Why don't you paint the picture of Portland and what cycling's like there? Because then we're going to move into Kuwait and what you're doing there. I mean, cycling Portland is as diverse as it can be. I mean, you have the the roadies, you have the climbers, you have the drop ride. I guess that's the roadies as well. And you have the OMTM folks, which uh, I mean, I don't know how would you you would describe them. There's just it's an adventure ride of all sorts. We do these crazy rides, cutting through like some trails that you never really knew about. So whatever you want is there like in Portland. Uh, I mean, of course you have, you, we had Rafa's headquarter there for a while. I, I believe you have some of the biggest companies there, Chris King. Um, I mean, amazing, uh, uh, custom steel frame builders. Um, I mean, it's just, uh, it feels, it feels like it's a city meant to be for cyclists. Yeah. And so what's the infrastructure like there then? infrastructure is great uh it's definitely great uh it could always be better yeah. uh, i mean um the, 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 there's always the struggle between balancing uh to serve the riders and the drivers um so i, I think everybody's pushing towards being a, a rider friendly more rider friendly um but it depends on the politics uh, uh you know and their tenure uh, some some politicians kind of tend to favor one over the other, so it kind of ebbs and flows. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, so there's a famous race uh, in Portland. I think it's a gravel race, if I'm not mistaken. Um, do you know the name? I can't it's, 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 a gravel it's, race. Yes, I, th- uh, I, I think you're, I think you're thinking of the gravel grinder. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's out of it's, uh, 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 it's in the Dalles. Um, this is about two hour drive from Portland, but I've never, I've never done it, but I've been, uh, I've ridden around the area. Okay. So, but there's a regular racing, regular rides, um, infrastructure, all the rest of it. Now you've gone from there to Kuwait, um, and, and you're not shy about talking about what it's like in Kuwait. Why don't you now pivot and go to Kuwait and what it's like there? I mean, Kuwait is everything that's not Portland. Uh, it's very car-centric, uh, very hot. Um, it's still grappling with the reality of growth. There's, um, you know, the, 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 there's a lot of things that haven't been done over the past 20 years, I would say. Um, the, the simple idea of asking for a safety lane is will probably ruin someone's day because they're going to be like, why would I care about your cycling lane uh, instead of caring about the road that just broke my brand new car? You know, and I sympathize with them. You know, I uh, I understand their struggle. So, uh, 
It when was, you say broken road I, or broken car, you're talking because of potholes? Is is that what I'm Yeah, guessing? yeah, Okay. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some potholes just, I mean, it's it's almost on a daily reoccurrence. You know, people, you know, destroy their their car, their new car, old car due to, you know, like yeah. uh, poor uh, infrastructure. And that honestly shook me as a person who was born and raised here. Um you know, to, to see that still happening. Um, plus the fact that it's very flat, very windy. And to me, that was extremely hard, but what I expected to, I mean, uh, I should have been a little bit more humble about it. I guess I expected, you know, when you, when you take a salmon out of the river and throw them in the ocean, you think it's just going to be like, uh, you know, swimming in the, with the speed of light, I guess that's what I expected. I would be here. But yeah. it was quite the opposite. Riding flats is a lot harder than I expected. Yeah, 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 hundred uh, percent. When we go Holland, we we think we're going to get twenty twenty five mile per hour averages, but it's not quite easy because the wind is is open. The whole area is open. Um, but just going back to Kuwait for a second, um, when we think of, or at least when I think of Kuwait, it's probably uh, we think rich, uh, oil rich country. Um, I've not been Kuwait, but I've been Qatar, I've been uh, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and Sharjah, and all of them. And you, you just kind of uh, probably wrong of us, but I think it's all the same, really. Uh, Saudi as well. Um, so, what's different about Kuwait than uh, these uh, Gulf neighbors, in the sense of uh, both wealth and then the road and infrastructure? Because um, we'd expect the same, really. No. The difference. The difference is in the will. You know, okay. um, it, I, I, I think I mentioned that in my uh, articles, um, like yeah. we have we have all that we need to steer this country into a brighter future, but yet we don't. And that's something that I'm still struggling to understand. Okay. And um, when we talk about Saudi, they've got the Saudi tour now, UAE, got the UAE tour, of course, which incorporates Abu Dhabi. Qatar is, uh, I've not seen anything cycling related um i know they have a track um and i'm sure there'll be some qatar tour very soon very soon um kuwait where, where are they like are they 20 years behind 10 years behind because obviously 10 years ago there wasn't all of this as well so is that I, to come it's it's hard to put them uh it's hard to put in years yeah. yeah. uh but you know let me give you an example of what happened in saudi uh, yeah. Based on what I've talked, uh, based on what I've understood from the people that I spoke with in Riyadh, yeah. um, three years ago, all of this was non-existent. You know, yeah. to mostly. I mean, there there have been people who've been riding bikes since '92 in Riyadh, oh, really? but okay. they they were kind of riding in the shadows. You know, where people don't see them, yeah, um, because they didn't want to be seen and stuff like that. But talking about the general uh, scene that you know about was non-existent three years ago, but to go from non-existent to world renowned in three years, something really uh, uh, important happened. And that's why I've been visiting, uh, I visited Saudi so many times because I wanted to learn from them. There's yeah. there's a, a great lesson that I wanted to just bring back to Kuwait. Yeah. Um, so I guess it, it's-, it's it, In Saudi, it's come from the top, right? Uh, I think it's a it's a bilateral uh, okay. relationship, you know. The people needed this, and yeah. the people up top provided. Okay, okay, 
but um who's pushing it then is it the people at the bottom or the people at the top because if you look if you look at the races for example you don't have much of a crowd and i'm talking across the middle east right right. you know what i mean like so yeah i'm just trying to wonder is it is it the country forcing because i'll tell you in the western media uh mm-hmm. the very biased western media it's like oh the, it's greenwashing uh they want they want eyeballs on the good stuff um you know there's no crowds but i have seen crowds but they don't show them uh, and i'm not talking major crowds but there, there are crowds but i'm just wondering like um is is it true what they're saying in the west white western media where it's like oh they're trying to hide their sins and you know all the rest of it and the corruption so they're getting all these uh sports events in their country including cycling um but you've been on the ground and you do a lot of work in the ground uh so it's it's interesting to get a different perspective um and uh, you're providing that, which is really good. So that's why I'm asking: is it is it is it coming from the top, um, and they're pushing it, or is it like there's there's actual cyclists and there's uh, want and need out there? So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tackle this with two points. The first yeah. point is Western media is always holier than thou, um, <laughs> so um, they're you never wrong. Again. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, trust me, I've uh, I've. I've delved in applied linguistics. That was that was my major, you know. Um, so I understand when they use their uh, specific language, and I, I think they're running out of time, to be honest, because the world is growing to understand the. Uh, it, it's easier to see the bias these days, yeah, hundred uh, percent than it was, you know, back then. Yeah. But to answer with the uh, to go to the second point, what happened and what I understood was there's a lot of people who struggle. There's a lot of people who, quite literally, I mean, uh, I spoke with some writer, uh, with a writer who got hit, and he just woke up in the hospital, you know, and um, like his his dreams to him were just like shattered, and the only reason that he got back was due to that support. So what what I what I mean by saying this example is that there's there's an actual need. People wanted to grow. People wanted to change. People want to bring that positive change to their country. And the messages were not left unheard. You know, for example, I mean, people people in Portland have been just uh, demanding for safer ride, uh, safer roads for, for years and years and years. Yet you have people dying on the road every single day. I mean, like how come how come the glorious Western world haven't, you know, shined a light on that? But yet they focus on the successes and they try to kind of like uh, 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 reimagine them as something negative. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I totally disagree with them. Um, yeah. There's, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the future here in the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's, there's definitely been a massive, massive tide change. Um, I, I've seen it myself um, on Instagram. Now there's, there's like top level groups popping up. Saudi. Uh, UAE, um, you guys, what you guys are doing in Kuwait, you, you guys are putting it on the map. And like you mentioned, uh, it was high. It was easy to uh, dismiss uh, the Middle East and just just paintbrush it with one stroke and be like, this is how it is there. But you guys are doing an important thing there, I think, by showcasing that it's not quite how the Western media portray. It. And um, yeah, good on you guys and keep doing what you're doing because we we're seeing the other side now and um like you said it's it's not easy to um 
you know, but wood over our eyes now because we can see for what it is. So, yeah. Um, let's go to the national team, uh, Kuwait national team. Uh, they're quite active as well. Um, how do they go about training then if if things are quite difficult? Because you, uh, we haven't mentioned this. We keep mentioning an article. You did a very, very good piece in the Cycling Weekly article talking about uh, Kuwait, how you are regularly harassed by the police, um, by drivers, uh, you guys go out with um, support vehicles, and even then, you get close passes. Um, you talk about horrid roads. So I was just wondering about the national team. Um, how do they go about training and uh, going about their business? So the national team struggles as much as we do. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yes, yes, they uh, do. Uh, um, but I, I guess on the plus, on the plus side, they do. I guess from time to time get some special treatment, which they deserve. You know, for example, they have permits to ride where uh, supposedly it's illegal to ride, but yet even with their permits, police officer. It depends on the police officer because okay. even though that there's uh, even though the ministry uh, sends an official letter asking police officers at certain districts to cooperate with the team. A lot of them seem, seem not to have read the message. Yeah. You know, I've been I've been, I've been stopped with the national team once before. Okay. You know, and one of the cyclists was like, "Hey, here's my permit. Are we good?" And he's like, "I don't recognize that paper." And I, I was just shocked by that. So there's there's a lack of communication uh, happening. Um, but they just do whatever everybody else is doing. They write on the very few. Routes we have in Kuwait, which is about three or four, I want to say, tops. Um, they deal with the heat um, and they deal with a lot. But, you know, with all the negatives aside, I think the riders here I've met in Kuwait have some of the the strongest mental attitude I've ever seen. Like, you know, with everything pinned against them, they yeah. still clip in and they still put their head down and just ride through the headwind. Like so that requires a lot. So what's different in, uh, okay, so uh, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, they have created race tracks or uh, tracks for for specific for cycling. So what's it like in Riyadh? Has that been created or are they riding on the roads? Uh, no, they're riding on the roads, but okay. I mean, uh, with the rate of uh, development there, yeah. I'm pretty sure a new kilometer is going to pop up every other day. Yeah. Like, mashallah, they're doing it so fast. All right, so what's what's different from Kuwait to Riyadh then? And what have Riyadh done, or Saudi in general done, that Kuwait needs to do very soon? For, for or, example, or do they get issues as well? They, they have issues, but yeah. what I want to do with Kuwait is that I want to move Kuwait from having our issues to having the same issues as Saudi. Because the yeah. issues that Saudis are having are a lot better than we, we are yeah. having here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, for for I mean, what what Saudi is doing is that they're they've dedicated uh, uh, a Saudi cycle Saudi cycling federation yeah. uh, to directly work with cyclists, provide them provide them with you know a lot of the things that they need, be it uh, connections, be it some financing, be it you know networking and all that. Um, and they just um, I guess in Saudi, what happened was. The t people at the top gave a promise to the cyclists and they're delivering on it. I don't know what the percentage is, but there's there's a level of trust between the two. Uh, and that tells me that there's something right that's happening. 
And in Kuwait, they we're still talking about a plan that was supposed to be achieved and completed four years ago, but nothing has happened. So I guess the difference between Kuwait and Saudi is that I personally don't have a level of trust in the officials to make change happen. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And are you in direct contact with the officials or are you going through, through a group or such? I mean, no matter how many times I try to get in touch, nobody seems to uh, want to sit down. So yeah. I don't know. Uh, so I, I kind of leave it. Uh, I kind of share my stories by talking to people about it. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, you're sometimes <laughs> sometimes brutal. Um, uh, at least it looks like that from from your article in Cycling Weekly. Are you not worried about your security? Not really. No. No. Um, no. Yeah. No. I. You know. I, I like to kind of joke about that. Uh, yeah. Because but, again, like, coming from the Western media, um, it's like if you speak out against the government, you're going to be arrested, you go missing, and you know all of that. So we've, I've got a fear for you almost. You know, you mentioned things like corruption, and um, yeah, you're quite, you're quite brutally honest. So <laughs> I wouldn't want the same for you. You know? Yeah. I mean, to be completely honest, Janet, like. They're not going to care about a cyclist um, because they don't see us as uh, people with uh, valid uh, needs. You know, they just yeah. see us as someone who's causing uh, uh, extra traffic that's not needed. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, we, we don't have that culture yet. Yeah, fair enough. So next five years, what, what do you want to see from Kuwait? And next and the region years. in, yeah, and, and the region in general as well. Is, is Dubai like... We have this idea of Dubai, but we haven't really spoken about the problems, um, if there are any. Is is that um, a model you want to see Kuwait follow, is it, or is it something different? I, I, I like what Dubai has been doing, yeah. you know, uh, absolutely. There's so much we can learn from them. Uh, I like the dedication. I like the support. Uh, I like a lot about that. But one serious issue is Kuwait is small. It's a very, very small country. But so, then Dubai is even smaller, no? No, Dubai, I mean, Dubai is huge uh, compared to Kuwait. UAE. Oh, uh, really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, the UAE in general. Yeah, UAE, uh, fine. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, but, but, it's an, it, but it's a United Nation, you know? Okay. Yeah, so yeah. it's not that the Dubai is just going to build up to the limits of Dubai alone, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I, think, I think they're trying to connect... Uh, uh Abu Dhabi and Dubai through cycling networks now. That's like a proposed uh project, which is insane. Yeah. Um but what I would love to see in Kuwait, for example, is you know at least at least three to four dedicated cycling routes that are all connected. Yeah. You know, uh it is so easy to do. And you know, I play around with right with GPS so much <laughs> yeah, that I've yeah, kind of yeah. like created my own route that I want to see uh, like come to life in Kuwait. Yeah. It is so tangible. I mean, it's just it. There's there's a lot of hope. Yeah. I would love to see uh, what you would call it, like a shift towards uh, uh, a less car centric society and more of public transportation. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I hate driving. You know, I I don't like to drive. Uh, I'll do it if I have to. Yeah. But I've been I've been doing it uh, against my, I guess against my will for so long now. Uh, I, I miss riding. I miss riding my bike. I miss going to the grocery store and kind of like 
uh, uh, feeling the rain, the wind, the heat, the heat, all of it. Yeah, I I appreciate that. So, um, are there any sportives or races that happen in Kuwait, even low level ones? Uh, when I mean low yes. level, I mean the races like basic kids and stuff. There is, yeah. Yes, yes. Actually, ironically, uh, yeah. uh, uh, I might be late to one tomorrow morning. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, there's there's a race uh, tomorrow morning. I'm not gonna race. I'm not. I'm not yeah, really yeah. a roadie. Yeah. Uh, but I, I want to kind of go and observe. Um, yeah. It's. I think it was. I think it's the first or second uh, race of the year. Uh, my, you, you got a part of me like my uh, recent memory is uh, very uh, uh, wishy washy with Not all with, with all the writing and the writing I've been doing here. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess to kind of piggyback off of the last point, what I would love to see in the future is yeah. like, sure, uh, a Saudi tour is cool, Dubai mm. tour is cool, but how about a GCC tour? How about a the Peninsula tour? Ah, you know? okay, yeah, yeah, like an Arab Arab tour of sorts. Absolutely. The I logistics, mean, the... like, if you're thinking about logistics, like if you're a European nation though, uh, or a European team. The logistics of that would be too much to take on, I imagine. Um, they... Not really. No? No, not really. Like, are you thinking about visas? No, I'm talking about just the fact that they have to ship over like 40 bikes, um, mm -hmm. their, their coaches and their trucks and all of that. So, I yeah. Mean, I guess they manage yeah, it for the UAE. Cheap. Yeah, fair enough. They manage it for yes, the UAE tour, Saudi tour. True. I mean, sure. Yeah. It's it's a huge it's a huge area. That's yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. But I mean, with what very well planned uh, uh, tour, you you could probably start from Oman, where it's you know the weather's going to be nicer, and just kind of yeah. work your way up. You know, hopefully yeah, yeah. all the way to like Levant or some sort. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's see, like I'm putting on my Western hat. Look, Iraq's there. Um, Saudi, uh, like there's even even the Saudi tour and the Dubai tour, you still get murmurs within the the industry, the media industry talking about oh, they're going to Dubai, mm, uh, human rights, oh, Saudi human rights, and oh Iraq, whereas Syria, oh can't go there, you know. Um, so, and and I'm talking about Dubai, which is in uh, peacetime, and Saudi, of course, as well. And even then, they have uh, they have. Uh, mute points about it so i just think there's it has to come from within in a sense and then uh grow grow like that um or just throw a bunch of money at them and say yeah you got <laughs> you gotta come over <laughs> which which they do i guess in already but yeah um i guess it means uh all the countries working together which doesn't always happen but uh inshallah I think, yeah I, I think there's a great point to kind of uh bring it back to a point that you brought up uh like he, you asked me like you know do you think do, you know do you think this should be something that uh we kind of like um we push collaborate yeah. yeah is that something that we should push or should, or should that be cahoots, something yeah. like exactly and i think the the middle east is already realizing or have realized for a long time that we don't need to seek uh, 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 attention from the West, you know, yeah. um, like we, we're fully self-satisfied, I guess, um, 
or um, uh, yeah, full capacity to just kind of build and develop uh, the cycling culture from within the Middle East. You know, we have mountains as high as 3,000 meters in Saudi and wow. uh, Morocco. You know, we have coffee yeah. farms in Saudi, uh, Yemen, uh, like amazing coastal uh, towns in like Tunisia and uh, like uh, North Africa. I mean, everything that you can imagine is here, you know, yeah. and you can do it, you can do it year round. Um, sure, we could be inviting, you know, pro riders from, from the West for let's say the next four or five years. But based on what I've been seeing, for example, uh, the ride, uh, Riyadh's Peloton, yeah. those are some really strong riders. I mean, they, they really, you know, bring the hammer down yeah. and that's just, let's call them generation one, you know, yeah. Yeah, let's yeah, call yeah. them generation one. Like, can you imagine generation 1.5? I'm not even talking about generation two, yeah. talking about 1.5. Like, yeah. I see, I see some uh, uh, like um, pro tour riders from Saudi. Like, definitely in the next five years, that's a guarantee. You think so? That's soon. Absolutely, yeah? absolutely. I mean, like, just look at the riders in Ebha. Ebha is the highest elevated, highest elevation uh, uh, city in the peninsula. Uh, I think it sits around twenty seven hundred meters. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, just. If you just walk around there, you're probably gonna, you know, Pass beat up. me in a ride in Kuwait, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, fair enough. So that too. Yeah, well, we'd pass out, right? But yeah. the people that live there, they're they're built differently. Mountain people are built differently. That's where the likes of Kipchoge comes from, um, up in the mountains in Kenya. And uh, I actually had a friend that visited there and uh, she was saying how Ineos has um created a cycling camp there because there's already the Kipchoge running camp and Ineos mm -hmm. want to tap in to the potential there and create perhaps the next Kenyan or African Tour de France winner by uh creating a uh cycling hub and uh investing in the infrastructure there so that, that they 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 certainly think something's going to happen there because like I said, like you said, actually, mountains and uh, the people there are just built differently. They have a different kind of fitness than the average layman. Um, but yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, go on. Yeah, I was going to mention one last point about that before you move on. Like, sure, I, I Portland is home, but I understand that there's an amazing opportunity to grow in the yeah. in the Arabic Peninsula. If I ever find a job in Ebha and if somebody's listening... <laughs> drop it drop me a dm you know yeah. if i ever find the job in epa i would move there in a heartbeat like yeah. i would never pass out uh, uh pass on this opportunity to live at such a high elevation where the temperature is very timid year long you know and just be part of the growth that i want to see you know here in the middle east and sorry uh for hogging the mic here nice this is what the podcast is about right yeah <laughs> yeah put you on the pedestal so that's uh gives me less to talk about which uh i prefer um just if, just just finally then bro um like i said i like what you do i like your project and stuff um how well what message do you have then to the western media about diversity and what, what are you trying to do or trying to fix pay attention um, yeah change is coming okay well, I like you it. Know? I like it. Short and snappy. Oh, did you have more to add? 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I uh, as I said, um, you know, the past 16 months have been some of the most difficult months I've ever experienced. But looking back at it, I'm so grateful that I went through all of that, um, you know, because I learned so much, I grew so much. And if I hadn't had gone through all of that, I wouldn't have been sitting here talking to you, Janine. You know, that's, um, uh, I guess, putting faith into, into like doing the right thing because, you know, I guess a lot truly leads you to doing like the righteous stuff if you just put your faith into it. And I guess that's what I'm trying to do, you know, kind of constantly remind myself, you know, by doing it for others, I know <laughs> that I'm not doing it selfishly. Uh, but again, I'm a terrible businessman, so I, you know, I could be running myself out of time. I don't know, man. Yeah, inshallah, there's barakah in what you do, bro, because like you said, it doesn't always necessarily pay, and uh, especially when you're such a bad businessman. <laughs> so uh, sure. inshallah, it works out because like, like just just for me personally, just seeing your page and stuff, it it's brought a light to um, so much. And it's like, you don't just work in Kuwait, you work in Saudi, and I'm sure you're going to do more work and we're going to hear from you um, a lot more uh, because you like to shine light on so many different projects. You're happy to travel. And um, yeah, we don't have many people documenting stuff uh, out in the Middle East, other than I'm sure we've got a few uh, out in the UAE and it's it's quite easy to follow there. But places like Kuwait, Saudi, where it's still, what, five, ten, maybe more years behind, um, we need people like you shining the light and uh, like you said uh, we'll be paying attention yeah and uh, one last point about this like I don't know how I forgot about about it like I, part of the reason that I've started this movement is watching you guys in the UK I've learned a lot from what you guys have been doing you know like for example the Muslim hikers yeah. uh, I think I spoke to uh, the uh, Zuhayt I'm terrible with names yeah uh, at the Fast 500 folks. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, Zahid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zahid, good. Zahid. Yes, you good know? friend of ours. And I, I told him, I was like, I, I told him, Zahid, like, I learned so much from you guys, you know? So it's not something that I came up with as much as I learned from others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a cool page to follow. Absolutely. Definitely an inspiration for our page as well. So, yeah. Um, but like I said, we're, we're looking at you as well and taking from you. So I think it's a bit of everything. I, I like it. I like it. Bit of a community. Right on. No, on that, I'm going to bid you farewell, Abdurrahman. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you for having me on. It's a pleasure.